This is Monica Perez, your Libertarian Voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. Uh, I do get preempted for sports sometimes, so if you are looking for a little uh, fix, you can go to my website, MonicaPerezShow.com, where you can find the podcast of this show, uh, my online show, The Propaganda Report. There's plenty to find there. And uh, But if you have not heard this show before... You are really in for a treat because it should be the best show ever. And that's not because of what I'm going to bring to it. It's because I had the opportunity to interview the great libertarian congressman and former presidential candidate, Ron Paul. So for a hardcore libertarian, I'm actually an anarcho-capitalist. For a libertarian like me, this is like the highlight of my career. So he did not have a lot of time. So I wanted to really hit the ground running. I kind of went a little New York on the guy, but of course he could roll with it. So, uh, and the result was a really fast paced, jam packed interview that I'm going to share with you right now. Here is my interview with the great Dr. Ron Paul. Hello, this is Ron. Hello, Dr. Paul. This is Monica Perez. Monica, nice to talk with you. Thank you so much for sharing some time with us today. Good. Uh, I know that you have a tight schedule, so I want to jump right in if you're ready. I am all set to go. All righty. There are so many world-changing issues that I would love to discuss with you and even just discuss in general from immigration to policing to foreign policy. But I find that it is so hard to have an intelligent conversation about these topics without someone bringing up identity, throwing around accusations of racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, whatever they can to corral the political conversation. And I know from observing uh, that you have had to deal with this plenty over the years. And I was wondering if you could offer us some insights into how to get past that roadblock to having really honest, productive discussions. Well, it's never very easy, and, you know, it's getting worse, you know, with this uh, political correctness going on. So anything they can do to name somebody and demagogue an issue and paint you in a certain way, that certainly was the case uh, that happened with me so often in Washington, um, because it would be like if I didn't do exactly uh, what the neocons wanted, then it was anti-Semitism, that uh, I wasn't willing to support Israel. If I didn't want to go to war, and then I was anti American, I was un-American because I wouldn't want to do this. And then, of course, if you don't uh, endlessly uh, support a welfare state, then you hate poor people. So it goes on and on. I think the only way you can do it is combat it with ideas. You know, the, uh, uh, they they have a losing fight, and they get the, the more they use their tactics, the, the more, I, I think, desperate they are. So they do the name-calling, and uh, yet uh, I, I think the answer has to be for us to stay on on uh, the principles that we believe in. But one basic principle is that uh, don't allow them to talk about people in, in groups, and uh, rights don't go to groups. Uh, you know, they claim, uh, you know, in the campaign, what are you going to do for the women? What are you going to do for the minorities? Well, uh, that's an insult. Uh, why, why would women have to have special privileges? I think everybody is an individual. Rights come to us in a natural way, 
and that uh, they deserve everybody deserves the same uh, same rights and uh, it's not because one belongs in a group because if you start doing some things in group matter of fact it comes from the fact that certain groups were punished uh, and therefore now they say well certain groups have to have privileges but the libertarian answer is that no we don't deal in groups everybody uh, is an individual and they should be respected for such and they should have uh, a total uh, you know protection of, of the law and not and not uh, punished because if you don't do this then you're always going to have the special groups vying for the interest then they go and it sets up the stage that if you can start shifting benefits to certain groups then uh, the, the, the special interest will control things and that's what happens in Washington that you have all these uh, special special conditions and, and special interests and the money goes in but if government uh, was to uh, if government existed mainly to protect liberty it would be a different story and then people would assume more responsibility but it is a problem it happens all the time it's probably going to continue it's probably going to get worse uh, as this bankruptcy you know continues to evolve and get much worse but the but the answer is found in individual liberty and property rights and combating people who use these tactics uh, with just a better idea uh, I've been uh, you know pleased with the response from many college kids saying that you know what you're talking about is just common sense and I really do believe that if people understand what liberty is all about it is common sense and it's the best thing we can do for peace and prosperity and that is actually uh, I've observed that when you have strong principles a very consistent uh, libertarian philosophy you can really find all of the answers uh, using those touchstones to principle but there is something that uh, there is an element of courage that I have found personally in just trying to sometimes deliver unpopular libertarian positions that I've always wanted to ask you, and maybe maybe this was never even an issue for you, but I have always wanted to ask you, all those years standing alone before a hostile Congress defending liberty and the Constitution, did, did you find that it took courage, or was it easy for you to stand up for your principles, for a just cause, and just view it as an opportunity? Because I do find myself, uh, sometimes I have to just uh, steal myself for for that when you know particularly if it's if I'm alone like you were all those years in Congress no I, I never had a problem uh, because I know I would have been much more miserable uh, it would have had it, when they put pressure on me to do this and do that uh, it was just inconceivable uh, so I, I never had that that problem but uh, I, I don't think it's the word is courage it's just determination and a, and, a, and a setting out to set uh, a st- I wanted to always set a standard because I never I didn't have any desire at all for power or other people so that was a normal instinct so I had no desire to be the chairman of the committee and uh, therefore uh, my my goal uh, was to present a case I never thought I'd be elected then when I was elected I'm going to say well I told him what I was going to do so I'm going to do it and then I probably won't get reelected but then I kept getting reelected <laughs> then I decided then I decided well uh, I know I'm not changing the world uh, I would uh, I would have been uh, 
you know, probably dejected, you know, I would probably think, well, this isn't worth it. I am not changing the, the world. But uh, I wanted to set a standard thinking that, well, maybe someday somebody might look at the voting record and uh, wonder why I voted that way. Because it was sort of a mystery to a lot of individuals in the 70s, because I'd be voting sometimes with the far left progressives, you know, on civil liberties or war or something. And they come, what are you doing? You're conservative and this sort of thing. But as years went by, they figured it out. And uh, the one rule I had for myself was never to make it partisan, never to make it personal, never to attack individual, and not to do it confrontational and do it more by asking questions. And if you notice, there's been a couple speeches in the congressional record where I was just really asking the questions and trying to get people to think about it. And I always thought, and I might have been naive to think so, that that even the opposition uh, did grant me a little bit of respect for uh, not demagoguing the issue and participating in the same thing that everybody else was doing. Well, speaking of asking questions, sometimes just asking questions can get people to demonize you and in kind of the same vein as shutting people down by calling them racist or sexist or whatever. Uh, accusations of conspiracy theorists can be used to shut down conversations about the true nature of power in the world. And the way I look at it, Obviously, power is used in the world, and it's not always transparent. They don't always tell them, tell, you know, Fox News doesn't always tell you what's going on behind the scenes. You know, it's a preposterous idea that we know what's going on, that everything is revealed. And I just wonder how uh, you, you can have a conversation similar to the other kind of roadblocks they throw up when they say, well, you, you shouldn't even be on this guy's show because he's a conspiracy theorist. How do you deal with that? Yeah, well, if, if somebody is closed-minded, I don't deal with them. You know, if somebody uh, has an open mind, I will. I was always pleased that every once in a while, uh, somebody would, a member of Congress would come down and sit next to me and ask very serious questions. And I, I was taught over the years that if you prepare yourself and become as knowledgeable as possible, uh, that the only thing that's worthwhile is when they ask the questions, why are you doing this? So I don't go out of my way to, uh, you know, to, to push it. But when, once in a while, if they will uh, challenge me a little bit, I say, well, yeah, I, but I only believe, I believe in conspiracies, but the, only the ones that are true. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you have to ask the questions to figure that out. Yeah. So, uh, of course, uh, you know, thinking about the deep state and who really, uh, you know, make plans and control things, uh, I think I became more, uh, some people would say, conspiratorial because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think the Congress has any power and authority at all. They've given it up. You know, it's, it's in the executive branch. It's the judicial system. It's in the lobbying group. It's in the, you know, the CIA and the FBI and the Federal Reserve, uh, that's, that's where the real action is. So, uh, but I think, I think we're making some progress on this. You know, when, what, 60-some percent of the American people don't trust the government? And uh, now, uh, you know, you used to be a conspiracy person if you challenge, you know, the Kennedy assassination. Well, 78% or more now say that uh, it wasn't Oswald, and yet, boy, you couldn't ever challenge that back back in the old days. Same thing with 9-11. I mean, uh, you, you know, you, you were some sort of a nut challenge. Just what went on in here? Everybody in the Congress voted for the idea of challenging Saudi Arabia for paying for it, <laughs> you know. and Yeah, that was amazing. 
so, you know, time goes on, and um, truthers resisted at the beginning, but truth does win out uh, in, in the end. But uh, one thing that I tell myself, and, and so I don't get too upset about it, is um, that in an empire, truth is, is the thing they hate the most. Truth, uh, truth is treasonous to, to people, and, and just, uh, just look how they treat Edward Snowden and others they put in prison for telling the truth. But that doesn't mean that we should, uh, you know, back off. It means we're on the right track. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they like to demagogue it and say, oh, you're just a conspiracy nut. But, um, you know, some of them, you know, they come around, and they, they have been. So I think uh, truth wins out in the end. They, you know, we who have been talking about the Federal Reserve for a long time, I think there's a lot of conspiracy going on there. Uh, you know, secret operations and spending money and control and all these things. But right now, the American people have a negative viewpoint of the Federal Reserve. It used to be that they were like a saint. They could do anything. They would always get us out of the recession. Well, they've gotten us into one big one. And most people are saying, what are they doing? Even the, even the conventional financiers on Wall Street are saying, hey, it looks like the Fed's losing control. You know, So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's eventually, I think we win all these fights uh, if we're on the right track and just stick to what we see as uh, being the truth. We have to take a quick break. I'm going to come back with the second half of my interview with Ron Paul after this. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB, and we just heard part one of my interview with the great Libertarian Ron Paul. And that was quite a privilege for me. I am a longtime hardcore libertarian for any libertarian geeks out there. I am a, I go the full Rothbard. <laughs> Murray Rothbard, the Mr. Libertarian, who, who's really said that only law should be don't touch me or my stuff. And that government should exist just to kind of suss out the nuances of that, you know, on the margins. And I, I fully support that. Uh, and Ron Paul doesn't go quite as far as that. Uh, I'm sure he understands it. He knew Murray Rothbard. But still, his libertarian positions are always spot on. And he has the added benefit of all this experience in government. He was 24 years in Congress. He's a smart guy, a humble guy, I got to say. And he has a lot of integrity and a real understanding of the principles. So what I wanted, what I was trying to get out of him in the interview was not just uh, what, what I could have heard from the mainstream media. Rather, I wanted him to give us some insights into how to carry on that fight. Like if he had any tactics or ideas for how to face a hostile crowd or whatever and the funny thing is i expected these little insider you know uh tactics but what what it ended up being was really just always this touchstone of principle that always to remember uh, to treat people as individuals, to defend individual rights, that we are all equal in that way. And if you keep your eye on the ball, it, you don't have to get uh, drowned out by identity politics or uh, personal attacks. It was really uh, great insights. That was the first half 
of the interview. So next, I'm going to play the second half where I try to get a little more into the issues that are dominating the news right now that are kind of top of mind in the election cycle. I wanted to talk a little bit about immigration, foreign policy. So I, uh, I have another half of this great interview coming up. If you missed the first half, you can always re-listen to the whole thing on my website, MonicaPerezShow.com. But for now, stay tuned because I'll be back with more of my interview with the great Dr. Ron Paul. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. I am the libertarian voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. If you miss my show because football or sometimes even basketball uh, are on and I've been bumped, we do love sports around here. And the upside is I have all my podcasts and I also have an online show, weekly show called The Propaganda Report. You can get on my website, MonicaPerezShow.com. So you should be good with that. And uh, I want to share with you the second half of my interview with the great Ron Paul. We just did the first half. We had some big picture issues such as how to deal with uh, um, a context of of identity politics or people calling you a conspiracy theorist. It was so funny. I like was really shocked by he just rolled with the conspiracy theorist thing he's like you know if people have a closed mind they want to shut you up i don't i'm not even gonna bother with them i thought that was pretty cool so given the opening i sort of gave him some conspiracy theories of my own uh starting with immigration so here is part two of my interview with the great libertarian dr ron paul well speaking of uh conspiracy theories this is one for me, that uh, I want to talk about a specific issue, which is immigration. It, I think it's very standard libertarian. It's it's a real debate whether you know you can recognize the rights to work and travel, but how does that apply in a welfare state? Like I get that uh, that discussion, but Murray Rothbard said that he had changed his view on open borders when he saw the Soviet Union flood former you know when it broke up flood former satellite countries with immigrants just to kind of undermine those native cultures. And I wonder, with all the mass migration that's going on all around the world today, if you see any kind of ulterior motive behind the scenes uh, activity controlling that or moving that for political reasons, or do you just think what I consider to be a canard always so often is this unintended consequences, good faith policies. Mm. Do you see something behind the scenes with with what's going on with immigration right now? I think it's a couple things. I think there is a motive because some people like chaos and they like collectivism and the more chaos there is the more dependency on government we must save you and take care of you and re- redistribute the wealth and they believe in cultural marxism so that is all the case but it's also um it's it's a difficult subject because it's it's a an unintended consequences on most people part because yes we had to go get Saddam Hussein because he was a monster you know and then go on and on so we're all over the Middle East so we endorse a uh, a foreign policy of interventionism which has consequences and they're very bad it, it's de- detrimental to our financial system but it's also now backfiring on the immigration and then you have the do-gooders come in and think that they have to uh, finance all this. 
that. But I think in a truly libertarian society, you wouldn't have this problem. First, in a truly libertarian society, you would be very prosperous. It would always be a shortage of labor. And uh, as long as you had free movement and, and free labor prices, uh, there there would be some benefits. You says, nah, well, you have a welfare state. What are you going to do? Well, that is, that's the problem. But uh, libertarianism with uh, strict control over property rights, with property rights, uh, you know, it, it would be handled. If you think of it in a more in a, in a smaller sense that if 20 people 20 libertarians lived on an island and they divided up 20 ways they would own the property and nobody comes on their property no trespassing unless we ask them to unless and then if somebody said well i want to bring in 20 workers to pick my crops maybe uh, those 20 people would have an agreement okay yeah that's fine just keep them off my property but you know such and such and they could work it out but i think a libertarian society would be uh, you know well managed uh, because it would only be by invitation. It would be like our houses. You know, we don't worry about the intrusion of our houses. But under today's circumstances, we, we have a president that says that, oh, he doesn't decide it with your vote or the Congress vote. He's decided with a uh, with a presidential order, we're going to bring in, you know, 100,000 people and we're going to tell them where they're going to be and we're going to give each family $28,000. And that just, you know, it's either really stupid or they do like the uh, chaos that they want. And it's sort of like maybe there's a conspiracy behind uh, Obamacare, cause the chaos, cause, cause total chaos in the medical system, and people will scream and holler for a one-payment oh, yeah. single-payer system. The Trojan so horse. Th- there's always an ulterior motive. But I, I think that uh, in a truly libertarian society, uh, we'd be much more tolerant, uh, you know, uh, if – if the world were made up, uh, you know, we've lost our independent uh, ideas of our states in this country. But I think overall, most people enjoy the fact that uh, they can go back and forth. If one state overtaxes them, they can leave elsewhere, and we can cross state lines. So uh, it's too bad they didn't maintain, you know, the integrity of the states and make them closer to an independent country. But this idea that you could travel back and forth and, and have trade, I think, is is a wonderful thing. Well, speaking of uh, countries and borders and how things are set up, I, I and and the refugee crisis, immigration uh, you mentioned comes from you know part a contributing factor. Obviously, is American intervention in the Middle East, uh, but we are constantly told by politicians and the media that things would be much worse if America pulled back. And Hillary Clinton said the other day. When America fails to lead, we leave a vacuum that either causes chaos or other countries or networks rush in to fill the void. Mm-hmm. And I, I find, uh, you know, I always want to, or I'm interested to know how you would allay people's fears that a non-interventionist foreign policy would lead to a world dominated by foreign powers. Yeah. Well, no, I, I believe that we should be leaders, uh, but I don't think we should be authoritarian leaders. I don't think we should use guns, and we shouldn't dominate and uh, tell and interfere in their elections and use the CIA. Both we use, uh, we have a foreign policy designed to say that if you do exactly as we tell you, we're going to give you a lot of money. We'll steal it from the American people and give it to you. <laughs> if you don't do it, we're going to bomb you to kingdom come. I mean, that that's that's leadership. That's the wrong kind as authoritarian leadership. But I would like to think that uh, some of the basic principles of America, based on individual liberty, is what we want to lead with. 
if we could have a libertarian society, uh, just think of what it would be like if uh, the United States was more designed after Hong Kong or something like that, or uh, even the political system of Switzerland. You know, uh, we, we could be very, very prosperous. We could honor and respect all individual liberties. We would respect travel and free trade and property rights and contract rights, and we could become very, uh, very prosperous and set an example. And I think uh, in leadership in that area that maybe somebody might come along and say, hey, you know, Americans doing this great thing. Maybe we should emulate them. Uh, and there's a big difference between becoming a leader and people wanting to follow what you're, the standards you're setting versus this idea of American exceptionalism and force it down their uh, throats. Uh, this is like Jacobinism. Yeah, Jacobinism in the French Revolutionary time was uh, something that was well-intended, but it was it was horrible. It was, uh, you know, uh, led to slaughter. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, we want to be the leaders, uh, but we need to define it. We don't want uh, an authoritarian leadership. We want something based on uh, the basic uh, principles of individual liberty. To you, and then just uh, kind of as a parting thought to get people... Give people hope and direction. What, you know, I see that the Bill of Rights uh, is just eroding day after day. And I and as the Bill of Rights erodes, the hope for restoring the Bill of Rights or, or having rights or restoring the American experiment erodes with it. And I wonder if you could kind of just give us a um, uh, your thoughts on what is the best hope for liberty in the world today. Is it just simply trying to uh, claw back the, the American experiment, or um, is there something uh, more of a paradigm shift, a bigger thing that you can uh, help us see? Yeah, I think that uh, the odds of our Congress and our electoral process, uh, you know, systematically and gradually uh, e- evolving into what was well intended in a libertarian society, that's, that's not going to happen. You lose it that way. Just think, uh, almost immediately after the Constitution, especially in the last hundred years, it was just uh, you know the, a gradualism that just undermined uh, that whole system. I don't believe the political process. Uh, it, it will is the answer. That's a reflection of something uh, much bigger, and uh, it's a reflection of what the people believe. I think the form of government that we have is a reflection of people's belief, and I think this is where we should be optimistic. I think uh, the libertarian message is is uh, being heard more than ever before. There's a better understanding of economics, and uh, even uh, even with Adam Smith, I think monetary policy is better understood than than ever. Uh, so I think there's great progress. I think we have a younger generation that's very open uh, to these ideas. But the big deal is the system that we have is going to come to an end, and there's going to be this vacuum. And I think ideologically, we're in a position as libertarians to prevent present an alternative. Uh, if not, it's half our fault, because authoritarianism, big government, and ruthlessness, that's been around as, during the you know, entire history of mankind. Uh, and I I happen to believe that uh, we can change uh, as human beings, that we can uh, evolve in a direction of uh, understanding and protection and protecting liberty and the importance of the individual. So um, I think that uh, that's where we're making the progress. I think there's uh, uh, every reason to believe that even with the breakdown of society as a consequence of what they've done, 
it can be turned into something very beneficial. And uh, I, um, I, I remain hopeful about it, but on the short run, I think we have a big big job ahead of us. But uh, there's, there's no reason to think that it's going to get better if we don't do our job intellectually. Uh, and I, I think it's an intellectual fight. It's an idea. And uh, the, the big, big thing is, can we prove that it's an idea that time has come and that we can not only restore what we were given uh, at the time of the founding of the country, but actually, uh, um, you know, bring about something even better. Well, I, the people who are listening to us, I think, are and who listen to you and follow what you're doing really uh, take seriously your hope, your direction your leadership and we appreciate that and i just uh in closing do you want to tell uh people where what you're what you think is the most important project you're working on right now how they can follow what you what what's your priority at this moment well, I, I do a lot. I've kept the Campaign for Liberty going, which is something that deals more directly with legislation. I have the Free Foundation, which is uh, also now uh, holds the Institute for Peace and Prosperity, which is very important for me on foreign policy. And also, I have a daily report, Ron Paul Liberty Report, and that's connected to my website, ronpaullibertyreport.com. And so I do a broadcast every day I possibly can, keeping up with the daily news. It's uh, it's live, uh, live streamed at 11 o'clock Central Time, five days a week, and uh, it's it's doing quite well. Uh, the viewership is going up constantly and gives me a chance to, uh, you know, uh, verbalize what, what I believe in, and it's sort of there. If somebody's interested, they can find it, and uh, something that uh, I enjoy doing. Well, I cannot thank you enough for your time today. I know you have a very busy schedule, and uh, and it's not easy to spread yourself as thin as I'm sure people would like you to. So we'll follow all your stuff, and I cannot tell you how thankful I am for your time today, Dr. Paul. Thank you, Monica. Nice to be with you. We have to take a quick break. I thought that was just a great interview. He left us a lot of things to think about. I'm definitely going to listen to it again. And I'm going to wrap it up. After this, this is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. I do get preempted sometimes, so check out my website, MonicaPerezShow.com, for podcasts of all my old shows, my online show. Uh, I really felt it was such a great privilege to talk to Dr. Paul. I have heard you know, hours and hours of his interviews, of his thoughts, of his debates when he was running for president. And, I, and I've always wanted to ask him specific questions about how, how, he, how he was effective, what he learned over the years on how to be effective as a, a libertarian, a defender of liberty, because there were many years there in Congress when he he stood alone. I mean, people kind of, uh, you know, didn't really pay him the respect that he later forced them to pay him with the Ron Paul revolution. I have a shirt from his uh, 2008 run that says, who is Ron Paul on the shirt? But by 
his 2012 run for president, my shirt didn't even make sense anymore. So he really made people sit up and take notice and uh, really simplified or at least made this libertarian message so accessible that it really caught fire. I mean, it, it caused brush fires throughout the land. And uh, and I feel like his legacy continues and we want and he is doing so much work on his own still, which is just great that he's <laughs> willing to do it all. He's just tireless. But what I really wanted to do was to understand how we can better carry on this fight. And uh, I think he gave us so much uh, insight into that. And also just some real specifics on on some of the more nuanced or powerful issues that are right now dominate, dominating the election cycle. So I was happy, really happy with that. Um, I thank him so, so much for his valuable time. And uh, you can re-listen to this uh, on my website, MonicaPerezShow.com. WSB is going to replay it. And I'm going to have some more thoughts about this. I'm going to kind of unpack some of his ideas, put them in the context of the presidential election. And uh, WSB is going to play that now. Or you can, uh, you'll be able to find that on my website. Also, MonicaPerezShow.com. Until next time, this is Monica Perez.